Sport continuously provides its audience with powerfully emotional, healing, and influential moments. And nearly always, these moments are remembered alongside the calls from the broadcasters lucky enough to be behind the microphone the minute the amazing happens. But what makes them unforgettable stretches far beyond the 30-second clip in which it's captured. This is Golden Tones, a podcast. After watching the NFL wildcard round of the playoffs all weekend, I've got football on the brain. Let's flash back to 2006, not the postseason, but the regular season, for one of my favorite football moments, actually one of my favorite sports moments of all time. Roll the tape. Michael Kanan, who uh, has made a headline for missing six of his eight field goal attempts this year, is now back to just punting and kicking off. The former St. Morton Anderson is here for most field goals. Look out! Right through! A pick block by Steve Gleason! It is scooped and scored by Curtis DeLoach! Touchdown, New Orleans! John Carney for the extra point. Seven nothing, New Orleans. That was Mike Tirico on ESPN's Monday Night Football from the Superdome in New Orleans on September 25, 2006. Tirico's minimalist television call stands for itself, but the gravity of this moment and the beauty of Tirico's call are only enhanced with context. On August 25, 2005, Hurricane Katrina, a large Category 5 Atlantic hurricane, made landfall in Florida, where it weakened to a tropical storm. Then it regained strength over the Gulf of Mexico and eventually made landfall in southeastern Louisiana near New Orleans on August 29th. Of course, Katrina's wrath was felt throughout the Gulf of Mexico and the Caribbean, but for the purposes of this episode, I'll focus on the storm's impact on New Orleans and the immediate surrounding area. Katrina's storm surge, which is the abnormal rise in seawater level during a storm, caused 53 levee breaches in the system protecting Metro New Orleans in addition to the failure of the 40 Arpent Canal levee. The Mississippi River Gulf outlet breached its levees in about 20 different places, which flooded most of eastern New Orleans. Major levee breaches within city limits left approximately 80% of the city flooded. The flooding destroyed most of the New Orleans transportation and communication infrastructure, leaving those that did not evacuate before the storm with little access to food, shelter, and basic necessities. Many of those people turned to the home of the Saints, then known as the Louisiana Superdome, now known as the Mercedes-Benz Superdome, as a shelter of last resort. One day before Katrina made landfall near New Orleans, approximately 10,000 people sheltered in the Superdome. The Louisiana National Guard reported that the number of people taking shelter inside the Superdome quickly rose to nearly 20,000, and eventually approximately 30,000 as search and rescue teams brought more people from areas hit hard by flooding. 
The Superdome apparently was built to withstand most natural catastrophes, but on the morning of the 29th, reports from inside the Superdome said that parts of the roof were peeling off in the winds. Rain was falling inside the Superdome through two large holes in the roof. Photos of the Superdome's damaged roof became an iconic image of Katrina's power. The dome's electricity supply eventually failed too. Backup generators powered the internal lighting, but not the air conditioning system or the refrigeration system. The plumbing and sewage systems broke down too. Eventually, thousands inside were forced to deal with hot, humid conditions with little non-spoiled food without the aid of restrooms or toilets. The evacuees were eventually moved to Texas, as on top of everything else, the Superdome began to slowly fill with water as a result of the flooding in New Orleans. Despite the rapidly deteriorating conditions inside the Superdome, the home of the Saints sheltered and saved thousands of lives in the days that followed Katrina. In all, Hurricane Katrina took 1,836 lives. It caused $125 billion in damage, making it, at the time, the costliest tropical cyclone on record and is now tied with 2017's Hurricane Harvey. Katrina displaced over 1 million people from the central Gulf Coast to elsewhere across the United States. By late January of 2006, about 200,000 people were again living in New Orleans, less than half of the pre-storm population. By July of the same year, when the U.S. Census Bureau calculated new population estimates, the population of the state of Louisiana declined by nearly 220,000 people, a near 5% decrease. In the aftermath of the disaster, there was speculation that the Superdome, which had been the home of the Saints since it opened in 1975, would have to be demolished because it was in such poor condition. It was also uncertain if the city would still have an NFL team to occupy the Dome. During the 2005 season, the Saints played four of their scheduled home games at LSU's Tiger Stadium in Baton Rouge, three at the Alamo Dome in San Antonio, and one at the New York Giants Stadium in East Rutherford, New Jersey. Away from home, the Saints finished 3-13 in 2005, derailing some momentum the franchise had built with three consecutive seasons of at least eight wins prior to 05. In the Saints' first 35 years of existence, from 1967 to 2001, they won eight or more games just ten times and only made five postseason appearances, picking up a 1-5 record in the playoffs. The Saints had certainly seen some lean years, and owner Tom Benson had threatened before, during, and after the Katrina-affected 2005 season to move the Saints out of the city of New Orleans. In fact, less than two months after Katrina hit Louisiana, ESPN's Chris Mortensen reported that, quote, the team has probably played its last game in New Orleans, unquote. The state of Louisiana and SMG, the operator of the Dome, decided to repair and renovate the Superdome. And along with help from the state and the NFL, Benson decided to keep the team in the Big Easy, setting the stage for a magical Monday night in September when the Superdome would reopen. But in the offseason that preceded the 2006 campaign, the Saints needed a new head coach after firing Jim Hazlitt, who led the franchise to its first postseason win during the 2000 season in the wake of the team's 3-13 2005. New Orleans decided on Sean Payton and also signed quarterback Drew Brees before the 2006 season began. 
The Saints were the home team in two of their four preseason games in 2006, but Independence Stadium in Shreveport, Louisiana, and Veterans Memorial Stadium in Jackson, Mississippi hosted the games. In anticipation of the Saints' return, the team sold out its entire home schedule to season ticket holders, a first in franchise history. New Orleans opened the regular season with consecutive road wins against the Cleveland Browns and the Green Bay Packers, and then returned home, for real this time, to the refurbished Superdome for the first time in 639 days since Week 16 of the 2004 season. It was the Atlanta Falcons, a fellow undefeated NFC South foe that found themselves as the only obstacle standing between the entire state of Louisiana and a reason to celebrate for the first time in a while. The Falcons got the ball first. After a six-yard run and an incomplete pass, quarterback Michael Vick rolled to the left but was sacked and lost the ball. The Saints, though, couldn't grab the ball as it squirted out of their hands out of bounds. Then on fourth down, Atlanta sent out the punt unit just over one minute into the game. Michael Kanan, who uh, has made a headline for missing six of his eight field goal attempts this year, is now back to just punting and kicking off. The former St. Morton Anderson is here for most field goals. Look out! Right through! A kick off by Steve Gleason! It is scooped and scored by Curtis DeLoach! John Carney for the extra point. Seven nothing, New Orleans. Again, that's Mike Tirico on ESPN's Monday Night Football. We'll get to his call in a moment. Steve Gleason's blocked punt and Curtis Deloach's recovery for a touchdown gave New Orleans the lead before their offense even touched the ball. And they never relinquished that lead, eventually improving to 3-0 with a 23-3 win on that Monday night. The win would help push the Saints to a 10-6 regular season record, the number two seed in the NFC playoffs, and a bye into the divisional round, a round the Saints franchise had only been once before. New Orleans then beat third-seeded Philadelphia in the Superdome before falling to Chicago in the organization's first-ever appearance in the NFC Championship game. New Orleans' return to the Superdome signaled the change in Saints franchise history. Over the course of the last 15 seasons, both 2006 and 2020 included, New Orleans has won eight or more games in a single season ten different times and picked up at least seven wins in all 15 seasons. They've made the postseason nine times and won Super Bowl 44 in February of 2010. But Gleason's blocked punt symbolizes so much more than just an NFL team's prospects turning around. Gleason's punt gave New Orleans and Louisiana as a whole a much-needed emotional release after more than a year of loss, destruction, doubt, and despair. Gleason's block marks the rebirth of New Orleans, a loud, passionate statement from the entire community that New Orleans, despite the pain, despite the suffering, is on the road to recovery, and that there isn't anything that can hold them down forever. 
It happened inside the Superdome, the same place that served as refuge for thousands during the storm, and the same place that became synonymous with the devastation wrought by Katrina. Gleason's blocked punt allowed a catharsis on a national stage, and the moment is frozen in time outside of the Superdome in a 13-foot-tall statue titled Rebirth. In 2011, Gleason revealed that he was battling ALS, also known as Lou Gehrig's disease. His foundation, Team Gleason, has provided over $10 million to help battle the disease. And in 2019, he was awarded the Congressional Gold Medal for his contributions to ALS awareness. You'd be hard-pressed to find a more meaningful moment in sports than this one. And Mike Tirico, along with 70,000-plus inside of the Superdome, provided the perfect soundtrack. Let's dig in. Remember, the game just started. This punt is the fourth play from scrimmage. So Tirico, as he should before Atlanta's first punt of the game, begins the call with an update on the Falcons' now fluid kicking and punting situation. Michael Kamen, who uh, has made a headline for missing six of his eight field goal attempts this year, is now back to just punting and kicking off. The former St. Morton Anderson is here for most field goals. This is worthwhile information for Tirico to announce because it gives the audience an idea of the state of Atlanta's special teams units. It hasn't gone to plan for the Falcons yet this season, and despite the fact that Kanan's punting numbers in his team's first two games aren't bad, his kicking numbers are a different story, it is still easy to get the sense that Atlanta fans are holding their breath when the team's special teams units are called upon. It is a decent amount of information to get through for Tirico, though, and while it is important and worthwhile, he does have to speed up his delivery when he sees the snap. Look out! Right through! A kickoff by Steve Gleason! Tirico wraps up his previous thought just after the Falcons snap the ball. He very quickly shifts his attention to Gleason, who finds an opening in the middle of Atlanta's punt protection. Tirico, who clearly saw this play developing as he finished discussing the Falcons' kicking woes, says, look out, maybe as a warning to Kanan, the punter, perhaps as a warning to the Falcons as a whole, by the way, many of whom would later say, with a smile on their face, that they stood no shot at winning this game, or maybe as a warning to the entire ESPN audience, to prepare themselves for the imminent emotional roar of the Superdome crowd. 10.8 million households tuned in for the game, by the way, which made it ESPN's largest ever audience. Regardless, it's an apt description for Tirico. Despite starting the call of the play itself a bit behind, he manages to catch up immediately. Because just after he says, look out, the ESPN audience can hear the famous double thud of the football. One as the ball leaves Kanan's foot, the other as the ball hits Gleason's hands. Okay, it might be kind of hard to distinguish two separate thuds because it happened so quickly, but let's listen to it again. Look out! Right through! A by Steve Gleason! The double thud doesn't have anything to do with Tirico, really, but it's worth a shout-out to the sound crew down on the field. Most times, the football FX feeds pick up noises such as players yelling, grunting, or talking after the play. They also regularly pick up the crash of helmet-on-helmet helmet or helmet-on-shoulder pads. You can also hear the single thud from a punt, field goal, or kickoff, but rarely do you hear a double thud like this. A lot of blocked kicks are just barely deflected and don't make much of a noise. This wasn't one of those instances, though, and the sound crew on the sideline was pretty clearly well-positioned. 
again, this has nothing to do with Tariko, the play-by-play broadcaster, but capturing that sound definitely elevated the quality of the broadcast. Anyway, after that, Tariko says that the kick has been blocked and is able to quickly identify that it was Gleason who got his hands on the ball. It takes about two seconds, time from the snap, for Gleason to block the punt. Then, just over another two seconds later, Tariko verbally identifies him for the ESPN audience. And I'd be willing to bet that Tariko recognized who it was before he said it. Gleason had long been a special teams ace for New Orleans at that point, and I'm sure Tariko was aware of that. What's more impressive, though, is Tariko's ability to quickly identify the second star of the play. In 2006, Curtis DeLoach played his first and only season with the Saints. He previously recorded 86 tackles over two seasons with the New York Giants. But through the first two weeks of the 2006 season, DeLoach had not made a tackle, on special teams or otherwise. So while Tariko was likely familiar with DeLoach from his time in New York, he probably didn't spend much time focusing on DeLoach while preparing himself for this Monday night broadcast. But for whatever reason, Tariko was able to quickly identify him as he rolled into the end zone to score the game's first touchdown. Just milliseconds after DeLoach falls on the bouncing ball, Tariko begins the sentence that would later distinguish him. He says, It is scooped and scored by Curtis DeLoach, finishing the thought just a second after the touchdown was officially signaled on the field. Whether Tariko recognized Deloach himself, cleanly saw his number and referenced New Orleans' numerical roster, or was aided by his spotter in the booth, it's an impressive and quick identification by Tariko that deserves praise. Much like Sean McDonough did in episode number one, Tariko even constructed the sentence that would identify Deloach in such a way that allowed him to say Deloach's name last, to give him another moment of time to confirm it was indeed Deloach that fell on the ball, if necessary. With that out of the way, Tariko then verifies the score. Touchdown, New Orleans! This might seem incredibly simple. But there are a number of different ways to say a football team has scored a touchdown. Tariko could have said touchdown Saints, or maybe New Orleans, into the end zone. And actually, after saying that Deloach scooped and scored, he really didn't have to say that New Orleans scored a touchdown, especially on television, that was relatively obvious. But I'll argue that there was no better way for Tariko to call this exact moment. And knowing how measured and precise Tariko is behind the microphone, I think it was likely a conscious decision. Again, this might sound simple. All you have to do is say which team scored a touchdown. But this blocked punt touchdown less than two minutes into the first NFL game at the Superdome in 639 days wasn't a Saints touchdown. It was a New Orleans touchdown. A touchdown that wasn't just scored because of the block by Gleason and the recovery by Deloach. A touchdown that wasn't just scored because of the sack that forced Atlanta to punt. This was a touchdown that was scored by the sheer force of will showed by the inhabitants of New Orleans and the entire state of Louisiana over the previous 13 months. This was a touchdown that was not only scored by New Orleans, but it was also scored for New Orleans. A touchdown that allowed 7,003 impassioned New Orleans fans to begin to turn the page to a better and brighter future post-Katrina. And Tariko recognized that. He said it was a New Orleans touchdown, then got out of the way. Let's listen again to this part of the call, plus what followed. Touchdown, New Orleans! 
Tariko stepped away from the microphone for 35 seconds after the touchdown, but the audience didn't miss a thing. In those 35 seconds, you can hear the constant, steady, emotional roar of New Orleans. Despite that roar, you can even hear individual cheers and whistles, screams and shouts. You can feel the gigantic emotional release happening inside the Superdome. Even without the aid of video, you can imagine and almost see people hugging, laughing in disbelief, shedding tears of joy. You can sense an entire region being uplifted by a play on a football field. There's no way Tariko could have added anything to what was coming through over the telecast. So, he stayed quiet, as did his analysts, and there's no doubt it was the right decision. Tariko only starts talking again to mention that the Saints have sent the kicking team onto the field. John Carney for the extra point. Seven nothing, New Orleans. Tariko is efficient and to the point here. He mentions that John Carney, the Saints kicker, is on. Then another pause. This one six seconds long before announcing that the kick is good. All the while, the Superdome continues to roar. Tariko needed just 31 words total, from the blocked kick to the made extra point, to describe one of the most meaningful, incredible moments in sports history. He was obviously aided by a momentous story, but his call of the moment is sterling. It's a minimalist call, but is fundamentally sound from a play-by-play perspective. He's on time. He quickly identifies the key contributors, which can be difficult on a special teams play, and knows when to take a back seat. It's a perfect call for an indescribable moment. Here it is one more time. Mike Tirico on ESPN's Monday Night Football for the first NFL game in the Superdome after Hurricane Katrina. Michael Kamen, who uh, has made a headline for missing six of his eight field goal attempts this year, is now back to just punting and kicking off. The former St. Morton Anderson is here for most field goals. Look out! Right through! A kickoff by Steve Gleason! It is scooped and scored by Curtis DeLoach! John Carney for the extra point. Seven nothing. New episodes of Golden Tones drop each Tuesday morning. You can listen everywhere you get your podcast. Just search Golden Tones. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It'd be much appreciated. Also, do you have a call or highlight you think I should feature in a future episode? Let me know on Twitter at Golden Tones Pod or at Mark Brandy.